Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for being a part of that. That was beautiful. And if you really want to serve the families that you saw in that video this morning, uh, you can always sign up to volunteer in the nursery. Because if you can tell, a lot of those children are very young. And these families are swimming upstream against culture right now. Not a lot of young families are choosing to be in a church fellowship. And the way that we can assist them is by making sure that they can be in a time of worship, that they can hear from God's word. It's as simple as all of us just stepping up and saying, man, I'll, I'll volunteer once a month. I'll come a little early or stay a little late to just volunteer in the nursery. It's a huge ministry. So let us know if you can help with that. Because right now we're turning away families and that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I also want to just let you know that we are submitting two elder candidates before you as a congregation. We've nominated them as an elder board, uh, both Yusuf Batar and Kevin Carcutt, who's outside. He loves being the center of attention. So uh, point to him. Yeah. Uh, These individuals, we're submitting them before you as the congregation so that you can give us feedback for the next two weeks. If you believe that there's any reason either one of these individuals shouldn't serve in one of these roles as an elder in the highest level of leadership in our church community, then you need to let us know. Now, we've never had anybody say anything, and that's because there's a bunch of people with amazing character who've been with us a very long time, Yusuf and Kevin included. All right, now that I've gotten through all that, happy Super Bowl Sunday, everybody. I know this is a great American holiday. It's on almost a religious level for a lot of people. The fact that you're here says a lot about you. I will get us out on time, even with all the extra details, so you don't have to worry. You can settle in right now. Uh, but I do want to like try to find some way to fuse Christianity and football to make this like an actual spiritual holiday, because I think it would be more well-attended than Christmas and Easter. If like I had some sort of ceremony with holy water, I bless like the helmet of the team we want to win. Right? No. No, right? Okay, if you're visiting... We don't do the stuff with holy water, but if we did, it would be the Rams. Are we, are we agreed? All right. But it's a beautiful Sunday, even if you're not going to be watching the Super Bowl. And it reminds me of last Sunday. Was that not the most magical gathering that we've ever had as a branches community, being in the park? Wow, we are so blessed, having everybody together at one service, our largest gathering since our times of distancing. And it was just absolutely spectacular, besides the chicken debacle. All right. Uh, the last time we ordered for one of these services, we had four boxes of food left over. And this time there was like a hundred of you that didn't eat, including myself. So it was a good problem to have. There were so many people and it was such a beautiful time, even as I was preaching on money in the park, in public. But that's what happens, you know, when you're going through God's word and you're not intimidated because we know that this is truth. This is truth that sets us free and When God's talking about money with us, you know, we're trying to capture his spirit of grace and generosity. Now, we're going to see in Matthew chapter 20 where we're studying this morning. You can go ahead and open there if you'd like. You can pull out your phones to look at the scriptures. You can raise your hand. One of the ushers will pass you a Bible. As we get into Matthew chapter 20, we're going to see that this call for us to contribute and to be generous with our resources, it's not something that God's just asking of us. It's something that he models first. God's kingdom is a kingdom of radical, unexpected generosity. Let's read together here. Matthew chapter 20. The verses will also be on the screens. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, that's one day's wage for the day, and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. 
He went out again about noon and at about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius, that's one day's wage. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The story that Jesus tells here about the kingdom, it starts simple enough, right? You've got this landowner, he's got a vineyard, he goes to the marketplace to hire workers, day laborers, and conceivably when he goes out early in the morning, he hires as many as he needs for the laborer for that day. And then he goes out again at nine in the morning, and he sees some additional individuals who are doing nothing, they're not doing anything, they haven't been hired yet, so he says, okay, uh, I'll pay you what's right. Will you guys also come and work for me? And they say, yes. Okay, all makes sense. And then the story gets a little strange from there because this landowner, he goes back again at noon. And then he goes at three in the afternoon. And then he goes at five in the early evening. And when he sees workers there in the early evening waiting around, he says, why are you here? Why haven't you gone on to go work? And they say, well, no one has hired us yet. And he says, hmm, and maybe this is an act of compassion here. Hmm, I will hire you at this point in the day. And you've got to understand, I mean, this is a lifeline for these individuals. In this day in Israel, there's no stimulus checks. There's no workers' union. There's no welfare programs. If these folks don't work, they don't get paid, and it just is what it is. So this is either... Again, the compassion of this landowner to hire these workers that he probably doesn't need. Or two, you could see this as the foolhardiness of a businessman who's making all the wrong choices. Why is he doing this? And in fact, it gets worse. If you thought that was foolish, look what happens next. He calls the foreman to start distributing the pay for the day's work, starting with those who showed up the latest in the day. And quite astonishingly, those who showed up last receive a full day's wage. Wow, that's really generous. And you can imagine, everybody's kind of standing in line waiting to get their pay. You know, the people who started the day at the earliest time, they're at the back of the line, they're seeing what's happening here. A full day's wage for those who even just worked an hour? What are we going to get? You know, what's going to be the windfall that we receive when we finally get to the head of the line? But when they do get to the head of the line and they receive their pay, it's exactly the same. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I'm chasing the same emotions that are like present in the story. When those individuals who showed up latest get this full day's wage, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. That's generous. But the second that these individuals who started the day early, who worked through the heat of the day, who labored and carried the burden, 
get paid the same, I'm the one wanting to start that workers' union against the landowner. Because I've been in this position, at least as a manual laborer. I know I haven't always been on a stage. No, I mean, I've done landscaping and painting, and I've done maintenance and clean bathrooms. And let me tell you, when you're in those situations in manual labor, it's a very comparative job. The people that you're with, you're always looking at, and you're comparing what you're doing versus what they're doing. Are they carrying their weight? Are they doing as much as you? Because, you know, the work needs to get done in the day. So if they aren't carrying their load, not only do you have to carry your load, but you have to carry their load. And then it really chaps you, right? Because you're thinking, man, we're going to get equal pay for unequal work. And that's the same amount of hours in the day that we're devoting together. Imagine an unequal amount of hours getting the same amount of pay. It's grossly unfair. And the laborers say so. Now the landowner the vineyard owner responds to their resentment directly in verse 13. He says, I am not being unfair. I paid you exactly what I told you I would pay you. Take your pay, he basically says, and don't give me your opinion about it. I can do what I want with what I want, and if I want to be generous with what I have, I'm allowed to be generous. But he really gets to the heart of it in verse 15. He says, are you envious? Are you envious because of my generosity? This is the economy of God's kingdom, and it's completely counter to the economy of the world. If we compare God's behavior to our economic system in America, we can assess that God is a terrible capitalist, And I know this is like a cardinal sin to say to a bunch of American evangelicals right now. But look at the facts. God is hiring workers, conceivably more workers than he needs. And he's paying a bunch of them a lot more than they deserve. He is the worst businessman from a commercial standpoint. So, so again, like we're looking at this passage, it reveals something about the heart of God, and, and it actually violates, right, our sense of fairness, because this is against our sensibilities of what we know to be true in the world. But you've got to understand, this is revealing something about God's kingdom, not the best economic system in the world. And it challenges some of our principles in our economic system, though, too, because if we hold on to these capitalist values so tightly that we make them sacred, well, guess what? If we all got paid what we deserve on the spiritual free market, we'd all be in for a lot of hell. But thank God, this isn't the world's kingdom. This is God's kingdom that we're dealing with. It's got a different set of rules when it's God's kingdom. And he makes that abundantly clear. When you hear this story that Jesus talks about the kingdom, you know that God here is the landowner. It's his vineyard. He hires the workers that he needs and doesn't need. He's the one that pays the workers what he says he's going to pay them, and he's the one who uses his own resources to pay people beyond what their work merits. And these laborers in this whole setting of everything that's God's, they think they can give their opinion. They think they can dispute some of the facts. Imagine you're hosting a Super Bowl party this afternoon, and some of you are doing that. Imagine you've invited someone in and that person walks into your house and says, ooh, you know, I was walking into your house and I saw that nice truck that you just bought out in front of your house. That's a cool truck. But kind of a bad time to buy it, right? With gas prices being what they are. 
And then imagine they look at your living room and they go, wow, I really like your couch. But you know, it really kind of closes off the space the way that you've got it. If you were just oriented in this direction, I think it'd be a lot more homey in here. Oh, and by the way, I tried the guacamole on the way in and it just needs a bit more garlic. And then it would really take it over the top. You'd be looking at that person saying, who are you? Is this house your house? Are these things your things? What gives you the right to tell me everything that you think about everything that's mine? But that's exactly where these laborers are coming from. And what is it about us Christians sometimes, after we've come to faith, and after we've put in some time as servants, and after we've you know, gone through the heat of the day, we've really suffered, all of a sudden we start to take ownership over the things that are God's. Like his wages are ours to begin to dole out to the people that we think are deserving and they're to be withheld from the people that we don't think deserve those things the landowner he doesn't put up with this sort of stuff and he doesn't bring those folks with their opinions along for like this lesson right he doesn't sit them down and go well guys i understand where you're coming from and if you understood it from my side of the equation like let me explain why this is the better way he doesn't do that he says i paid you what i told you i would pay you And what I do with what is mine is none of your business. If I want to be generous, I'm going to be generous. But his generosity didn't turn them generous. All it revealed was their stinginess. How calculated they were. How legalistic they were in their hearts. And that's why he gets to the heart of it. Verse 15, are you envious? Did I turn up the dial on your jealousy when I turned up the dial on my generosity? Did your stinginess get stronger the more that I shared? Did my goodness make you bad? You know, who are these early laborers, these folks with all these opinions? I think there's a lot of applications in biblical times, in the New Testament times, in the early church. You would see this sort of judgment being leveled from Christian to Christian. This group could be the Jews, who were watching the Gentiles come to faith. The Jews had the Old Testament. They had the promises of God. They were the ones following God's directives through all of history. And now all these Gentiles, these godless people, these non-Jews, these pagans are coming to the faith and they can receive the promises that we've been carrying and we've been working hard for. Who are these guys that they would get the same pay as us? You know, and then it flipped. <laughs> when the church became majority Gentile and non-Jew, they started to marginalize the Jews. They say, well, now you guys get out of here. You messed this up in the Old Testament, right? You don't deserve the same pay as me. It could be the Pharisees, these religious teachers in the New Testament. They thought they were very spiritual. They followed the law. They did all the things that God was asking for. And they're looking at Jesus, the Son of God, associating with tax collectors, these nation betrayers and sinners and prostitutes. And they're saying, How can you give these folks who've done it all wrong access to the same promises that we have access to when we've done it all right? You know, it's amazing. It says in the scriptures in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, that when a sinner repents, heaven throws a party. The angels rejoice that someone's name has been written in the book of life, that they're going to receive the reward of eternal life through faith in Jesus. But you know who gets ticked off? Is that new believers, self-righteous brothers and sisters who sneer 
and judge and compare and say, you don't deserve the generosity of God. Who will you be? Who will I be? Are we going to be like these early laborers who started the day early, who think we can have all these opinions about the way that God uses his grace? Are we going to be people who celebrate along with heaven? God's great mercy and his generosity. Do we throw a party too? Or are we those who are constantly calling for judgment today? A lot of people calling for judgment today before the judgment has happened. (laughs) Jesus warned about this. He said in Matthew chapter 24 that in the last days, because of the increase of wickedness, because there's going to be a lot of sin and a lot of messed up stuff happening in the world, the love of most will grow cold. He didn't say the love of some people are going to grow cold when there's nasty stuff happening in the world. He said all that hardship, all that sin, all that wickedness is going to make most people's love grow cold. Is that going to be us? You know, I've noticed in the last couple of years, the more that pastors stoke hatred and encourage the murder of unbelievers in the hearts of Christians, the more their churches seem to grow. Do we want more people who are far from God to experience the reward of eternal life in God's kingdom? Or do we want to shut them out and close the doors? I think that's something that we struggle with, the idea of sharing this reward. I think sometimes we as human beings, if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle with the experience of someone else's good fortune. We have some friends that are close to us, great people, good friends, They called up my wife and they said, we haven't told many people this, but we've had a life-changing sum of money come into our life. And they had actually received that life-changing sum of money through NFTs and cryptocurrency. If you don't know what that is, guess what? It's okay. No one knows what it is. (laughs) All right? And this is not investment advice. I don't have a fund I want you to go into with me, okay? This is not that situation. I know far more people who have lost, and they just passed it on to this individual, okay? Essentially, that's what happened. No, but they said, we got a life-changing sum of money, cryptocurrency, all this stuff, and great people. Is my first inclination to say, great, how amazing for you. Is it to say, well, how is this going to change your life? No, my first inclination is, why? Why? Why not me? Why didn't I get what you have, right? These are my friends. Why is that my first inclination? Ah, it's the cry of our heart. And the landowner, he reveals the cry of our heart and weakness. The cry of those early laborers. Do you understand that he could have reversed the order? He could have paid those who started the workday at the front of the line. And he would have paid them what they expected, and they would have gone home happy. They wouldn't have known the difference. He could have reversed the order. It was intentional. He wanted them to be paid last so they would see his generosity, so it would reveal their hearts, so they'd say, why? Why not me? Why isn't there more for me? Because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God's kingdom. It's about bringing in all those folks who are idle into the vineyard. 
all those sheep without a shepherd, all those who haven't been hired yet by somebody else, bringing them into the vineyard and giving them the same reward to demonstrate that generosity. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. So I have a few pastoral applications for us as we think about this story, this teaching. Number one, I want us to know our role. Know your role. You are laborers. I am a laborer. I'm not the landowner. You're not the landowner. This isn't your vineyard. This isn't my vineyard. It's not my resources to dole out as I see fit to this person and say, oh, you know, uh, these folks don't deserve it. We can't have a possessive heart over the things that are God's, and it's all God's. God told us, he said in the scriptures, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. But so many people, they get possessive over the things of God and they start thinking, yeah, I think exactly like God. And all the things that I want to do and the way that I want to go, they must be exactly like God as well. Tons of people think that God thinks like them today. I mean, that's the kind of authority everybody's speaking with. It's like, wait a minute, he told us. There's a line there. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. And there's so much overreaching on the part of Christians through history. Have you seen this, where we go from being laborers to thinking we own the land? We start overreaching in theology. We start getting really specific about everything the Scriptures say and the outcomes of it. We build these massive systems. We say, I know exactly how God acts. I know exactly how he responds to things in this world. So many people overreaching in like how God feels about everything in the world. They say, this is exactly what's going on in the world and how God feels about it and exactly what he's going to do tomorrow. It's like, wait a minute, we're overreaching. Do you know we have a track record? We have thousands of years of history now where we can look back at popes and kings and monarchies and archbishops and we can see how they overreached and how often they were wrong. Stop speaking for God. We need to listen to God. If we listened half as much as we're speaking for him, I think it would change what we say. And we are not the owner. We're not the one who holds the wages. I don't want to go beyond what is written because, guys, I'm a pastor, but I don't own any land. They aren't my wages. I'm not even the foreman. The foreman is Jesus. We're all laborers. We're the same. We need humility. Know your role. Second, I want us to crucify the competitive spirit. Crucify the competitive spirit. This is exactly what the landowner did to those who started the day early. He set it up so that they would see his generosity on display. So that their hearts would be revealed, right? And guess what? He paid him when he said he would pay him. Nothing was done wrong. It was fair. But what happened in their hearts? They started to look around, right? It was comparison. It was competition. Well, because they got this, well, then I should get that. It was envy. It was jealousy. And this is like the bread and butter of Orange County in every conceivable way. We're comparing each other. We're competing with each other. We're envious of each other. We've got to crucify that in this community. That doesn't belong among the people of God. I want the Branches community to be a place where it's not about money. It's not about your social circle. It's not about your social media following. It's not about how cool you look. It's not about your age and your interests. It's not about any of those things. 
Get rid of it. It's not about, you know, how much theology you have and understand more than other people, how mature you are, how long you've been serving. It's not about any of those things because it's not about us. When Jesus returns in his glory, the center stage is not going to be me and my accomplishments and how much I know and how much I've done and how much I deserve my reward over anyone else. It's going to be about him. And what's going to be on display is his radical generosity when all receive a reward in kind. Whatever hierarchy you thought there was, the first will be last and the last will be first. It's done away with. We have to crucify the competitive spirit. And finally, we're called to enlist the idol. The idol. Instead of a heart that gets stingier and more exclusive as the times get tougher and a love that grows cold, let's stay warm to the people around us. The landowner only seemed to have one prerogative in this story from beginning to end. Do you notice that? He had one prerogative to get more people in the vineyard and to reward them all the same. I mean, when you are moved and changed by the Holy Spirit, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit in times like this, that's what you want. Like your main prerogative, there's tons of other narratives going on, tons of other things going on. But number one, your number one is we got to get more people in the vineyard and we got to see God's grace at work in their lives. That becomes your highest ideal, what you're most excited about. And there are so many who are idle. There are so many who haven't been hired by anybody. You know, that's the fastest growing religion in America. By far, the fastest growing religion in America is I have no religion. Do you know that? It's not atheism. It's not, I don't believe in God. It's not agnosticism. I don't know what to believe. It's nothing. In the 1970s, it was 5% of the population. Nothing. In 2018, it's 23.7% of the population. In 2022, you've got to believe it's more than a quarter of Americans saying, And when they did studies on these individuals, demographic studies, they found out they're not all that educated. They're not really that wealthy. They're not really that politically engaged. They're just not connected. They're invisible. And they're all around us. It's one quarter of the people around us. They just haven't been hired. We need to enlist the idol. I promise you, if I told you, who are the invisible people around you? Just like I described, you can think tons of people in your neighborhood. You can think of tons of people in your workplace. They're only invisible because we're not acknowledging them. But we know who they are. It's the greatest untapped mission field in this entire country. It's the invisible. Jesus went. God our Father went. The early morning, nine, noon, three, five, and he said, I want them in my vineyard. Let's pray about this. Let's ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to move our vision and our hearts into alignment with what we see in God's generous vision for his kingdom. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that we, at some point in our lives, for many of us, maybe not for some that are here this morning, but For many of us, we were the ones standing out there. We said, no one's hired me. I'm idle. Spiritually idle. I don't know which way to go. I don't know what to do. 
And yet, Jesus, you hired us. You brought us into your vineyard. And you're going to pay us not what we deserve. Thank you, Lord. But you're going to pay us what we don't deserve. The gift of eternal life and grace and forgiveness through your act on the cross. Lord, I pray that you'd extend that offer by your spirit. Move in the hearts of the people who are gathered here. Maybe there's some who haven't received that invitation. They're just floating out there. They feel invisible. Lord, you want to join them to your kingdom. You want to join them to your family. It's as simple as them saying yes to you. Okay, I'll work. I'll enter your vineyard. Lord, would many make that decision this morning who are gathered here? Would heaven celebrate? Would the angels sing that more names are being written in the book of life? And will we celebrate it too, Jesus? Because it's not about us and what we deserve versus someone else and the pecking order and who gets what and who's got the greatest accomplishments. There's no competition. There's no comparison. We're all beholding your goodness. When you turn up the dial on your generosity and your grace, God, would we not turn up the dial on our stinginess and how calculated and legalistic and envious we get? Lord, we celebrate. It's the same grace we've received that we celebrate for others. Lord, send us forth to enlist the idol. There's so many out there, invisible to the world. No one will ever know. No one will ever care. No one will ever seek them out. But you would, Jesus. And you would stir the hearts of your people to go find them. Lord, you had one prerogative in this story, and that was to fill your vineyard with people and to reward them all alike that your generosity would be on display. Lord, fill this branch's community. Fill all the churches of Huntington Beach. Fill the churches of this nation so that your grace and goodness and generosity would be on display and would we celebrate you for it. Send us out to see those who are unseen because you see them, Jesus. this in Jesus' name.